Now, DJ Moore would be a guy you go and get because there's a fire sale and because you see an opportunity to get a guy that not only is going to help you this season, but will help you in future seasons. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com, as well as a senior Titans and NFL contributor. We are also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Friday, everybody. It is the 14th of October. We have reached the end of the week, the end of the week leading up to week six. I guess I refer to this as week six. And uh, we're here. It's the weekend. So congratulations for getting through your work week. We've got an awesome, awesome awesome slate of NFL and college football this weekend. I was talking on the Mike Herndon show earlier today just about how, you know, week six for an NFL team to have a buy, not ideal, but in terms of somebody that watches the Titans and covers the Titans and whenever the Titans are playing has to focus on them and miss a lot of other things in the football world. It's a pretty nice weekend to not have to focus on the Titans because there are some fantastic games to watch on Saturday and on Sunday. Excited about that. But of course, we are going to talk about the Titans today. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT. JT, how are you? How was your week? I'm good. Happy Friday. Made it Happy through a Friday. long work week and excited to talk about the Titans today on their bye week. Yeah, absolutely. And bye weeks are always tricky because, of course, there's not any actionable news happening throughout the week. The team, um, I believe the coaches give a, a, a press conference on either Monday or Tuesday, and that sends the press corps into the dark until the following Monday when they pick back up the regular weekly schedule as they do any other week. So we've not had anything in terms of practice news or press conferences or sound bites from, from practice, nothing like that. But there has been plenty to talk about this team in terms of over the bye week, what do you do? Teams regroup. They study film. They evaluate where they are so far and what they need to do differently on the back end of the bye. It's really like the pit stop for a team in the middle of the season somewhere. And although it's early for this team, they've, I mean, they need this bye maybe more than any other team has ever needed a week six bye in the history of the league. This team is so beat up already, um, was so beat up. You'd hope by now we're at the midpoint of their two weeks off with the bye. They've got some guys healthy. They rested a number of guys, as we talked about on this show on Monday, over the past weekend against the Commanders, a number of key players. They had eight starters out resting that I think were probably more along the questionable lines with their injury than out. Um, you know, I can't say that for sure. I'm not their doctor. I don't know. But I'd imagine not all of those guys would have been out had it not been the situation that they were in and the situation they found themselves in was we can have these guys sit and get two, really three almost weeks of rest for the price of one. If we don't have them play against this week outside of the conference opponent. And that's what they did. And they pulled off the win regardless. So those eight guys getting nearly three weeks of rest, you'd imagine most of those guys will be back and ready to go next week when the Titans host the Colts. If they're not, I think that's going to raise a significant amount of concern when they've had, you know, three fourths of a month off and they're still not ready to go. Clearly those injuries are going to be nagging, but that'll be something that we look for intently next week. This team has a number of issues that I want to talk about because of course, these are the issues they are in the office of the, of the Titans up in North Nashville talking about all week this week. Here's our key issues. What can we address over the buy? What do we have in terms of 
resources and personnel in the building to fix these things? What issues do we have that we don't think we can fix from within the organization? What issues do we think we can fix with some tape study or just some coaching? What issues do we think we can fix by changing the personnel or going out and getting additional personnel that they don't already have? Those are the kinds of questions being asked by a team over there by and by this team in particular, because they have issues kind of across the board. I was talking with Mike Herndon on his show earlier today, and, and I'm going to do my best to make this show not just a copy of that show. Well, first of all, Mike's not here, and I can't bring the insight that he does in terms of the tape, but I bring a different kind of insight from a narrative standpoint. And I find a lot of the things we talked about from that show interesting, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on some of those topics. We discussed a lot of these issues, four in particular, that we singled out. And it's really, when I tell you these four, you're just going to nod and be like, oh, gotcha. So the whole team. And and yeah, that's kind of the case at the moment. They have significant issues, I think, at receiver, specifically a lack of dynamic, explosive receiver talent. They obviously, and I think this is the biggest of the four, have massive issues across their offensive line. They've got significant issues with the secondary and the depth at the linebacker and edge positions has been a real concern and caused some real problems for this team. So kind of at all levels on both sides of the ball, they've had issues. But I think that some of these, maybe most of these, are really fixable. And I think we're prone to see some significant changes from this team out of the bye next weekend against the Colts that might surprise you some things that they tweak over the bye. And I want to talk about some of those things. Let's go one at a time. The first that I want to address is the pass catching juice or lack thereof. This team, of course, has not been a passing team really ever since coming to town. But in the past couple of years in particular, the passing game kicked up a bit with Arthur Smith and Corey Davis and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill in those first couple of years. But it was never to the level that a real passing NFL team passes the ball at. And this team continues to kind of trend in the wrong direction in terms of pass catching being an element of their offense. Well, this season is is no outlier in that regard. They continue to really lack any vertical weapons is the main thing that sticks out to me. This team struggles to stretch the field. And I tweeted as much this past weekend when they twice in that game tried to go deep to Nick Westbrook-Akine, first half, second half, once each. First half didn't work out so well. Second half, biggest play of the game. I'm guessing the biggest passing play of the Titans a year. Don't know that for sure, but off the top of my head, it, it seems to be the case. That's something that they have not tried really at all this year until this past game. And it was something that I was really, really glad to see them try in this past game. They need to do it more, but they're dissuaded from doing that partially because the offensive line can't block long enough for the receivers to get down the field and, and get that separation in one-on-one -on -one opportunities. But they also lack guys that can go down and make a play, not just on the ball, but make a play on a guy in a one-on-one -on -one situation, shake a guy, get open, get separation. And we saw this in the first attempt, in the first half, to Nick Whisper-Akine. Tannehill has the time. He uncorks it, and Akine just does not have any separation on his man. It's, it's an untenable route. I commend Tannehill for trying it, but it was doomed from the get-go because he wasn't able to create that separation. This team lacks guys across the board in that regard. There's a reason they were going to NWI in those circumstances in Washington because with the personnel they had, he was kind of their best option in that regard. 
Robert Woods is great at a lot of things, and he's been impressive so far, especially coming off of his ACL injury. But stretching the field as a go-ball guy, that's not what he's ever been in his career. He's an elite blocker. He's an elite guy across the middle. He's a run-after-the-catch guy. That's his game, not the vertical passing game. And so this team has very limited options on the roster and essentially no options healthy to them right now. Really, the only guys that come to mind are Racy McMath, who I want to talk about a little bit more here in a second, and Traylon Burks, who, of course, is on IR now and won't be back until, I believe, week 10 at the earliest. Without those guys, they're going to have to continue to go to guys like Nick Westbrook-Akine in that downfield passing game, and it's, frankly, I just don't see how it becomes a bigger part of their game. The guy that comes to mind for me initially, and Mike actually, I had written this in our rundown for this show, and then Mike mentioned it on our show that we recorded earlier today, and I, we agreed entirely. The guy that comes to mind for me when I think, who does this team need to get going more than they have so far? And they've started to the past couple of weeks. They've trended in the right direction. It's Chigakonkwo. This guy, we, we've seen him in the preseason in training camp, we saw what he was capable of. When I went to camp each and every day that I was there, they were running red zone drills, red zone seven on seven, red zone 11 on 11. And almost every single time, Ryan Tannehill targeted Jigakonkwo multiple times in those drills. Was it because he was forcing the ball to him? No, it was because he was open. It was because this is a guy who, as a tight end rookie, still right definitely has issues and growing pains when it comes to the blocking tight end responsibilities. And with this dreadful line, I know they need tight ends in there like Austin Hooper. And yes, like Jeff Swaim, who can block well enough to, to make them a blocking threat, make the team a running threat whenever they're in and on the field. Chig does not offer that currently. He's a fine blocker for a rookie, which means he's a bad blocker. But in the passing game, he's electric. This guy is capable of, of being a Jonu Smith light for you now. And I'm not sure that I, I know that we weren't sure about this before the season, but based on what I've seen in the past two weeks, he is capable of being that for you in the passing game right now. We saw him make a really incredible nearly touchdown, arguably touchdown catch in this past game in Washington. That's the kind of thing, and we saw him in, in the Indianapolis game, his breakout game. He had a touchdown reception there, a couple of other big receptions. This guy can do a lot for you in the short, intermediate, and in red zone situations. They should be using and targeting him more often than they are, and they should be getting him on the field more often than they are. Frankly, Austin Hooper, who I like, and I think he can do more for this team than he has so far, I think they can utilize him more than they have so far. I would rather them split up the snaps they want to give to him and get Chig on the field with more routes, more reps earlier than to continue to give Hooper reps. Like, yes, Hooper continues to be that blocking threat, not an elite one, but a real one, whereas Okonkwo really isn't. I don't really care. I think this offensive line needs to be responsible for a little bit more. And with Okonkwo, when he's in to run, excuse me, to uh, receive the ball, you don't really need a ton of pass protection in terms of the time necessary for him to get open on his short and intermediate routes. Okonkwo is the guy they need to get going more. I would expect them to, based on what they've seen in these past two weeks. I think when they come out of the bye, they will. Let's keep an eye on that. Another guy that I've not really heard much talk about in this conversation, because of course, the Titans wide receiver situation 
this past week and really for the season has been about who can be that guy. Who's the guy that can bring the juice for this team? Well, in the preseason and in the early parts of this season, a, a name that popped up a lot in that conversation was Kyle Phillips. Why is he not being talked about now? I'm aware that he had a really nice start to his season in game one. He was the safety blanket for Ryan Tannehill in that game. He, I believe, led the team in targets in that game. He was really good. And of course, he was on punt return duty, punt return duty still in that game. He's since been taken off of that, partially because he couldn't hang on to the ball, partially because he's been dealing with an injury. Now, he and the team have claimed that his lack of punt return responsibilities has nothing to do with his injury. I don't believe that he's clearly the most dynamic punt returner on the team. You can teach ball security. He just needs to rep it. I think that that shoulder is continuing to keep him from doing that. And I fully expect him to be given another chance to do that later in the season when he gets healthy. This is a guy that his snap count went down dramatically after that first week, after he suffered the shoulder injury at the very end of the first game, he's not seen the field much. And so I get why he's kind of flown under the radar for people. But we saw what he was capable of all the way leading up from when he was in OTAs to that first game when he got injured. This is a guy that can be that Hunter Renfro light for this team in a slot receiver role. Will they continue to utilize him? Absolutely, they will, because they know as well as I do and as well as you all should what he's capable of when he's healthy. It's just a matter of when he gets healthy. Now, he only had 17 snaps in Washington, despite Traylon Burks being out, despite them needing some juice in the receiving game. So clearly, he went in that game, but was not 100% still. I think that shoulder is still nagging him. This is a break that I think will be vital to him, getting that shoulder back and healthy. And once he's back off of the injury report each week, and we know that he's no longer dealing with that nagging injury, Keep a close eye on how they utilize him, how often he's on the field, and how big a deal he can be for this Titans passing game because I think that he can be that safety blanket for Ryan Tannehill in each and every game if he's healthy and if they utilize him. The third guy I want to talk about is Racing McMath. I said I'd come back to this. If you have been following my coverage of the Titans and following this show long enough, then you know in the preseason – Racy McMath was kind of a dark horse player on this team in my mind. He's a guy that, if nothing else, can absolutely stretch the field vertically for a Titans team that desperately needs it. Now, he's not proven as a receiver in any other regard. He's arguably not proven as a deep threat receiver, though we saw him do it all the time at training camp. We saw him do it in the preseason. We've, of course, not seen him this regular season get a chance to do that. He went on IR right before, I believe, right when the 53-man roster came out back in August. So he's not seen the field. He was eligible to return last week, didn't. I'm imagining they wanted to just keep him out that last week, get him to the bye, get a couple extra weeks of rest. I would be surprised if he's not back this week. That's just a gut pasta and meatballs feeling on where he is at with his injury. They've been very hush-hush about it. But I think that he's going to be back, and I'm very curious because I've put some of my own credibility on the line, hyping him up, what he comes in and is capable of doing for this team. I saw a lot of progress, a lot of development from him from last season to this season. He's in his second year now. I think if he's healthy, he can be that deep threat the Titans have lacked, 
and not in the sense of the deep threats they've had in the past where it's a one-trick pony. They can run the go route and occasionally burn you once every four games. I think that he can not be a do-it-all receiver, but be a do-it-some receiver more than just the one-trick pony deep ball guy. I think that he's capable of that. And if he is, if he if he becomes that mold where he's able to do the intermediate and the deep routes and successfully stretch the field, make the defense respect the deep ball when he's on the field, that will be a much bigger deal for this offense than just his numbers and production on the stat sheet telegraph to you, right? Like I, I think it will be a much bigger deal than just how often he's being targeted. His presence, if he can come in and establish himself as that threat, will be significant. And the fourth guy I want to talk about, and the last guy I want to talk about with the pass-catching juice conversation, is a guy that's not on the Tennessee Titans. It's DJ Moore. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. I think we'll spend more time on it with our special guest that we're going to have on Monday's Monday morning episode, on Sunday for us when we record it, Sunday night. He's going to join us for a full episode You've already heard him before on this podcast, and if you heard him before, if you checked that episode out, you know you're going to not want to miss this one because he's fantastic, and he's done a lot of work this week talking about DJ Moore and the potential trade scenarios therein. But I want to touch on him just briefly because I, I promised that I would in this episode. He's the guy, as we near the trade deadline for the Titans and for the NFL for that matter, that Titans fans have really chosen to cling on to. Right, He's the guy that is the flashiest name available. Of course, the Panthers firing Matt Rule, seemingly going into a tailspin with the worst quarterback in the league right now per EPA. They've got fire sale potential. And so DJ Moore being a young stud receiver, three or four 1,000-yard receiving yard seasons in a row now, he's the guy that has caught the eye of a lot of people, but especially the Titans, who, of course, need receiving help. Should they go get him? Well, monetarily, it would make sense. They, they would not be on the hook for nearly as much money um, as signing A.J. Brown would have been, for example. They have the ability to move on from a Robert Woods next year, should they choose to do that. If they were to go and get um, D.J. Moore, then it would almost certainly be the case that they do that in my mind. I think that they would roll with a Traylon Burks-D.J. Moore pairing for the foreseeable future. He's a guy at 25 years old that obviously is not even close to the end of his prime. He's still got tons of juice left. And that's the key thing to me that makes this trade make sense. See the Titans and Titans fans have long called for the trade for a guy who is nearing the end of his run, or maybe not nearing the end of his run, but he's a guy that is clearly somebody that you go and get when you see yourself as a team that is a guy away. Do you see this Titans team as a guy away? No, no, they're absolutely not a guy away. Now, of course, that doesn't mean they can't make a deep run in the playoffs. It doesn't mean they can't win the Super Bowl. I, I'm not, I don't subscribe to that, that way of thinking. In the NFL, when you get in the playoffs, anybody in the playoffs has a chance. Anybody. The chances aren't all the same, but they all exist. So it's just get to the playoffs and then get hot at the right time. That's the formula at the bottom line at the end of the day. So are they a guy away from being a Super Bowl favorite? No, 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 they're not. Absolutely not. But that's not what a DJ Moore trade would be. See, the Titans have in the past couple of years made trades for Jadavian Clowney, older veteran player, somebody that you th would go for and get if you think that you're just a little bit of juice away from being an elite unit, which is what they thought that they were. They trade for a Julio Jones. 
who is the epitome of we just need a little juice. We need a little juice on the offense. He's the missing piece. He's going to be the elite secondary receiver to AJ Brown. Of course, that was a disaster. We, we've chronicled that. DJ Moore is not nearing the end of his prime. He's not nearing 30 years old. He's not a guy that you would trade for in terms of the financial situation that would only make sense if you were trying to push all of your chips to the middle of the table. No, DJ Moore would be a guy you go and get because there's a fire sale and because you see an opportunity to get a guy that not only is going to help you this season, but will help you in future seasons. He would be a two, three, four, maybe more year guy that would stick around and be the running mate of a Traylon Burks for the foreseeable future. And that's why I think this is a, is a trade that is actually worth considering. Now, the, the next topic that I want to get into, and I'm not going to spend as much time on these other three things because I don't have as much to say on them, frankly, as I did with the pass catchers. The next is the biggest disaster on the team. And that's, of course, the offensive line. When you look around this team, I think that every single position group, every corner of this team has at some point this year shown flashes of good to great play, of good to great ability, of a high ceiling. The offensive line is the one ugly duckling of the bunch. They have not shown any ability so far to be a great unit. Now, they've individually shown some flashes. Some of the linesmen have been great, period. Linemen, rather, linesmen. Some of the linemen have shown great ability throughout the season. Ben Jones and Nate Davis in particular. In fact, I wanted to key in here on their PFF grades. Now, of course, PFF, not the Bible, but it is... In fact, something that is nuanced, people. PFF is a tool, just like any other statistic. These grades are not the end-all, be-all, but they are informative. And they're they're created by people that, that know ball. Okay, so let's talk about this. You know, when you pull up the Titans roster here, and I'm looking at it, you see their five starting linemen this year, excluding, of course, Taylor Lewan, who only played a couple of games. You got Ben Jones, Aaron Brewer, Nate Davis, Dennis Daly, Nicholas Petit-Friere. It is all hot or cold or dead center for this offensive line. They've got everything. So, of course, Dennis Daly, who we will get it, we will get into in detail here in a moment, has been horrible. Out of 72 starting tackles in the NFL, he is currently ranked 70th with a 45.2 overall grade. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, not much better, 68th out of 72 with a 49.5 grade. Now, he is significantly more acceptable because, of course, he's a rookie. He's a guy that is starting at a position that he wasn't expected to be starting at this year, yet he is, and he's shown flashes of actual competent high-end ability, high-end ceiling, high-end potential. Dennis Daly has shown you none of that. He has been bad, 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 and he has to go. He has to go, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But of course, those two guys bringing up the rear dead center is Aaron Brewer, who has gotten a lot more hate, I think, this year than he is owed. He's the 30th out of 75 starting guards ranked by PFF with a 63.3 overall grade. His ability to run block has been fantastic for this team, especially when they're using him as a pulling guard. He's a guy. His weakness is his strength. His ability to be as athletic as he is and pull on these running plays and get a key block downfield or in the flat has been fantastic. It's been elite, and it's caused 
a lot of these cascading, big breaking runs that the Titans have broken off the past couple of weeks. Whereas in his pass protection, it's fine when he has some help. But unfortunately, he's had no help when he is next to Dennis Daly, the worst lineman on the team, the worst tackle almost in the entire league so far. When he's over there with Double D, it's a disaster in the pass blocking game, especially because, again, nothing is going to change the fact that he is a 6'1", 300-pound guard. He's not big enough to handle the bull rush of the, some of these massive guys they're going up against. When they face Kansas City here in a couple of weeks, he's not going to be able to handle a Frank Clark bull rush very well. It's not going to go well. So they have to be able to account for that. And with Dennis Daly at left tackle, they can't. Ben Jones and Nate Davis are the opposite end of the spectrum for this offensive line. Ben Jones ranked third out of 38 starting centers in the league. And Nate Davis so far, missing one game so far, of course, eighth out of 75 starting guards. These guys have been elite so far. They're the best two players on this line by a mile. They may be the best two players outside of Derrick Henry on the offense so far, very sneakily, because again, the offensive line as a whole has been a disaster, but these guys have done really well. These guys are capable of, of buoying this offensive line if you can just get acceptable play around them. It does not even have to be good. It can just be tenable. It can be workable. Now, what Nicholas Petit-Ferrer gives you, both in what he's currently doing for the team and in what his upside is, is workable. It's tenable. What, what Aaron Brewer gives you, also workable and tenable. Again, if you have something, somebody over there at left tackle to be able to help him in those in those conflicting situations, he is absolutely a tenable guard. Not ideal. Not ideal. But tenable. Dennis Daly is not. He's the odd man out. So Dennis Daly, I mean, what is there to say? He has a 32.9 grade in run, excuse me, in pass blocking. We just go watch the Mike Herndon show, the, the tape section of the show on YouTube. It's out now. It's fantastic. And we had a section of that show that was literally just titled Offensive Line Struggles. Dennis Daly sucks one, Dennis Daly sucks two, and Dennis Daly sucks three because Dennis Daly sucks. He is bad at football. And we've seen him 24 starts now, I believe, just not be any good. They need to try something else. Something else? Well, they don't have any other options. They Not good ones. No, they don't have other good options. But they have other options. Okay? One that was brought to my attention today, actually, by Mike Herndon during the show. I, I've done some research on it since that because it sparked my interest. And I agree. LaRaven Clark is on this team. Now, he's a tackle. He's built like a tackle. He's got the athleticism, the traits, the physical traits in particular to be a tackle. He's got the reach. He's got the, the, the footwork. He's been a middling tackle in the league for a little bit now. He had a decent year. His best year was with Philadelphia in 2018. Last year, he was a tackle for the Colts. Not great, but he was significantly better than Dennis Daly has offered. He was in the 60s with his PFF grade over the year. 20 points better than Dennis Daly. So he would be tenable in that way. Another guy that I'm not sure whether I could say he would be tenable, but I can at least say I would be surprised if it's much worse. Dylan Raidens. Okay, this is a guy, second round draft pick two years ago. He 
has to be tried somewhere. This team, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, they have to find out what they have in Dylan Radens. They have to know by next season. They have to be able to cut bait if it's truly not going to work out. And so far, it has truly not worked out. Now, he's only been tried a handful of times. In fact, two. He's got two starts. Last week and last year on Thursday Night Football at home against the 49ers. Now, in that game, he started at left tackle in a pinch with Taylor Lewan down on late notice. And he did a fine job. It was by no means good. We talked about it on this show at the time. It was kind of sneaky bad in terms of how people reacted to it. The reaction from fans and the national media was, hey, he didn't look awful at any point. He didn't look terrible at any one point. So he must have been good. No, he, he was very mediocre, very, very underwhelming. But he didn't blow up any plays. And that's the key. When you go back and you watch the film right now, Dennis Daly is accounting for at least five of the 60-ish offensive plays the Titans are getting to run each game. At least five of those, he is directly responsible for ruining. These are plays that they've got guys open. The scheme is working. The play design is working. Everything is falling into place. And Dennis Daly finds a way to just fall down and, and provide no stopgap for the outside with an offensive lineman at tackle in particular sometimes it's just about losing slowly and and a lot of guys do that and they do it well and if you don't win your block but you can be a hindrance to the pass rusher just long enough to give your quarterback time then that's a win Dennis Daly doesn't do that he creates zero hindrance he he shaves no milliseconds off of the time that it takes the pass rusher to get to the quarterback and it's a disaster at least five times a game. On the Mike Herndon Show, it is like Groundhog's Day in that regard. We continue to return to it every week. It's clear at this point. He has to go. So can Dylan Radens be much worse? I, it'd be hard. I think that Radens is a guy, his high end is very limited at the left tackle position. Though, I'll remind you, he has, until the NFL, only ever played at left tackle. That's all he's done. At any level... Besides the NFL, he has played left tackle. He's a left side player in my mind. We saw in that San Francisco game, again, he did not cause any massive hiccup. He didn't have any massive hiccups. He didn't cause any massive issues. And that's what you want. Again, we're not looking for good. We're looking for tenable. And that's what I think that he could be a high floor, very low ceiling left tackle solution that is by no means good. In fact, it's probably bad, but it's not a disaster, which is what Dennis Daly currently is. All right, that's my rant on the offensive line. These last two issues, I've kind of gone from most passionate, thing I'm most passionate about to least passionate about. These last two things are, they're issues, no doubt. But I think that they are less concerning to me just because of what I think this team is capable of doing at these positions over the bye. And a big part of that is just getting healthy. So that's going to kind of be the drum I beat here. With the secondary, the, the key issue to me, and, and this isn't a key make or break the secondary issue, but the biggest topic to me so far has been Caleb Farley. The Titans need to bench Caleb Farley until further notice. And that's not because they need to ruin his confidence, of course. That's not because I don't think that you know, he's going to work out ever and they just need to decide to cut bait on him. No, they need to bench him because he's not ready to be back. 
and he's dealing with two issues at once that he's not capable of overcoming. Let me explain. We've seen veteran players return the season after tearing their ACL countless times in the NFL. It's a recurring issue each and every year. We see guys come back. Some come back faster than others. Some come back earlier than others do, but you can tell they came back a little bit early because their first five, six, seven, eight games are really shaky to bad. And then all of a sudden, a flip flipped switch at midseason and they are they are significantly better. They're back to themselves. You thought they were washed, but suddenly they seem like they're back. Those knee injuries, both mentally and physically, take some time to get back to normal. With this player, we are seeing him deal with not just a questionable return to play with his knee. I say questionable in the sense that I have a lot of questions about how much it's hindering him, but we are also seeing him deal with the mental hurdles, the mental learning curve of essentially a rookie player. I'll remind you in his rookie season last year, he got very, very little play. It was mostly all special teams. And then he went down, I believe in week six off the top of my head and never saw the field again this year. He's having to do all of that for the first time. His reps on the field are coming for the first time. The situations he finds himself in and, and so far often finds himself burnt in is happening for the first time. So he's having to learn the hard way, experience the trial by fire, whilst also, I think, still being not hurt, but hindered in a way that removes the third piece of what makes him so great. Let me remind you that when he came out as a corner in the draft, the thing that made him so great from his college tape was his traits, his athletic ability. If you were to go into Madden and create a player at cornerback, your ideal player from a physical and athletic skill set standpoint, it would look a lot like what Caleb Farley was coming out. He has the length like nobody else on the field. He is one of the longest players I've ever seen in person. He has incredible top-end speed as well as top-end acceleration that makes him a, a dual threat in that way. He can get beat off of the line. He can get beat in the route. And still, the combination of his speed and his length allows him to make up for those mistakes and still burn you, even when you have him beat. That's what made him so great. He has elite speed and acceleration. He's a big-body cornerback, and he has elite length. That trifecta is gold. It is the golden goose of cornerback play, and that's what made him a first-round talent. Well, I think that his knee, whether it's a mental thing, whether it's a physical thing, has clearly hindered his ability to have that speed and acceleration. His change of direction has suffered dramatically as well, based on what I've seen on tape. And we see guys like Deami Brown, who is a fast player, don't get me wrong, but he ran, I think, like a 4-4-5. He was not sub 4-3. Caleb Farley was a guy that was rumored to be in the 4-2s when he was healthy. And, and of course, he didn't because of his injuries, didn't get a pro day. But at Virginia Tech, that was the idea. Caleb Farley, 4-2 guy, 4-3 guy. His speed is elite. Well, Dummy Brown's running away from him. Flat out. Just running away from him in Washington. Farley slips a little bit in the route, but that's precisely the kind of thing we saw him in college be able to recover from because he had that elite speed and acceleration and length. He's not exhibiting any of that ability right now. None of it. And again, I don't know whether it's a mental thing. 
I don't know whether it's truly just a knee thing. Of course, like I said, he's still trying to mentally get through the hurdles of learning this game for the first time and also working within a body that he's not trusting right now, whether it's because it can't or he can't get it to because his mind won't believe that he can trust his knee yet. There's an issue there. And so they need to bench him until he has that elite speed back. Because when you're just a big body guy who's got nice length, but no speed and acceleration or change of direction to use it with, you're just a big oaf out there. You're, you're not helping anybody. You're making yourself look bad on tape and you're ruining your confidence and development. And you're also, I'm sure, growing scared to death that the coaching staff is giving up on you. So they need to do right by him and bench him until he has that top end speed back. And again, we have seen veterans come back and deal with this kind of thing. And then, you know, in the mid season, around the mid season point of their first year back off of an ACL, suddenly something happens. And of course I've not torn my ACL, so I don't know, but we've seen so many times these guys, something happens around the 18 month mark, 20 month mark from their ACL injury that just clicks for them and they get those traits they had lost back. So bench him until you see that in practice. The next guy I want to talk about in the secondary is uh, Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker, not them individually, but them as a duo. This is just a note. Essentially, I talked about this on Monday. Hooker's been out with a concussion. We saw him return to practice the week before Washington and he was questionable going into the game. I believe uh, maybe he was out, but the point was he returned from concussion protocol for a practice in limited fashion, then went back out and didn't end up playing in Washington. I don't know whether that is something that they're just trying to keep him off the field for a little bit and get that extra rest or not. But those two guys need to be back and healthy. That dynamic duo, maybe the best safety duo in the league needs to be back there for this team, for the secondary to, to have that safety blanket back there. And then the last one is McCreary and Molden. Elijah Molden, who you haven't heard us talk much about because he hasn't been on the field for this team at all this year, on IR, has not returned in the same boat that Racy McMath was in, put in the IR slot at the beginning of the year, eligible to return last week, didn't, guessing they just wanted to get him extra rest. If he's not back in week seven, I think then you have some red flags crop up about what's this guy's injury looking like. Is it going to be a long-term thing? But they've not really indicated that that's the case. They continue to talk about him like he's maybe week to week. They continue to evaluate and see when they want to get him to return to play. Whenever he does, if he does return to play, he's going to be massive for this team. And that's because not only will he provide competent slot cornerback response uh, duties, and it'll really force Caleb Farley off the field, whether the Titans choose to bench him or not, it's going to force Roger McCreary to move back out to the outside, which has, I think, been his strong suit all along. This year on tape, I, I like what he looks like in the outside much better than when they have to put him in the slot. Of course, in college, he played outside almost exclusively and was fantastic at it in the SEC against high-end receiving talent, of course. That's where I want to see him play more. And, and these silent struggles that I've been talking about with McCreary so far this year have come mostly when he's in the slot. So that ripple effect that will be caused when Elijah Molden returns to play and McCreary gets pushed outside, you could see the secondary really take a big step in a hurry. And it may just be an overnight week to week thing. Suddenly Molden is back and things get really good, really fast. That's what this team needs to hope 
is the case here in a couple of weeks. The last topic before we get to the news with producer JT, and I had a lot more to say about these things than I thought I would, but but here we are. And I find these things fascinating. And I, I think that it's it's worth talking about as we look at what this team comes out of the bye looking like, because it, I, I genuinely think it could look a lot different. It's the depth at linebacker. Not a ton to talk about here. We've beaten this horse a lot. The biggest thing new to me that I don't think we've mentioned much on the show is just that Rashad Weaver has been sneaky great so far. We talked a lot about when the Titans lost that starting edge talent in Harold Landry. Who's going to fill the gap? We talked about it, of course, a ton on this show. Rashad Weaver was the obvious choice number one, but we weren't sure what he would look like, what his availability would be like in terms of how many snaps he could take in a game, what his pass rush ability has evolved into. It's all been really positive. The only negative to his game so far you could point to is the run defense, which has been fine. It's been lackluster for the most part. It's the weakness of his game, to be sure. But his pass rushing so far has been fantastic. He leads the team in sacks. Now, granted, he's been doing a lot of cleanup work and and reaping the benefits of a team effort, to say it lightly. But he's there. And and his ability to bend, and that's the biggest thing that we talked on this show with James, James Foster about a lot when the Titans drafted him, his ability to bend and flatten out his rush around the edge to the quarterback was lacking coming out of college. He's developed in that way a lot so far, and that's something that has made him the guy that's been there to get those sacks in cleanup fashion and lead the team in the sack department. So he's been really great, and he's played more snaps each game than I thought that he would. I think if if and when they get this depth situation figured out and his snap count is able to go down a little bit, we may see him get even better. I'm not going to harp on this in this episode, but just to check it off the bingo card, Titans have to get Bud Dupree back. I mean, it's really, it's the, it is, there is no position on this team right now with injury concerns that is more easily key in the hole. Suddenly things work again than Bud Dupree coming back and being healthy for this team. The fans should be really upset with Bud Dupree right now. Not him in particular. He's not trying to get injured, but just with the situation, it's frustrating how much money they've spent on him and the return that they've gotten so far. That doesn't mean you can't recognize what he is on the field, what he has brought to this Titans team since he got over the ACL hump again last year. He has been that force multiplier on defense that this team is looking for in the pass rush department, in the edge department. It's something, you know, Ola Daney, by the way, he needs to be back too. These three guys can be a nice rotation and it won't force Danico Autry to be outside nearly as much. But right now, guys are playing way too many snaps. And when Bud Dupree comes back, he can be that anchor on the edge. You need guys on the edge fast enough to get the edge and contain and then chase down these quarterbacks and skill players in the backfield. When the quarterback scrambles, listen, Jeffrey Simmons and Tierra Tart are elite athletes. And at their size, it's amazing how quickly they can and how well they can move. But when even a Derek Carr level athlete scrambles out of the pocket, he's faster than those guys. He just is. And of course, the Kyler Murrays and Jalen Hurts of the world are going to be way faster. You have to have guys like Ola Daney and Bud Dupree and Rashad Weaver on the field and not gassed from playing the whole game to be able to provide that speed element on the edge. Right now, they're lacking it dramatically. So those are the four big things that I want you to check mark in your mind, bookmark them, 
file them away for a week from now when the Titans return to action. Of course, they're on by this weekend. We're going to watch a lot of great football while they are taking their rest week. The Titans come back hosting the Colts in the second game of that series, that divisional series in Nissan Stadium on Sunday. Uh, the whatever that Sunday is, it's too late to do that kind of math. The week seven Sunday, one Sunday from this upcoming Sunday, they host the Colts with an opportunity to bury them in the division, which is, of course, going to be a big deal and a big game. Those four things to look for in that game. The offensive line not being a disaster is the primary one. What they do with their pass catching juice that they have, what kind of what kind of return they get on that pass rushing juice squeeze that they're going to be trying, I think, some different things. The secondary issues mainly an injury situation, but you know, Caleb Farley, what kind of snaps he's getting, what he looks like, of course, we'll continue to monitor that. And then the depth at linebacker, what kind of rotation they can have available to them, healthy and available to them to be able to get these guys rolling in there and get some more speed on the edge. Okay. That's enough of me ranting. Let's get into producer JT with the news. All right, before we get to JT with the news, just want to drop this little reminder in here for you. If you're not subscribed to the show, wherever you're listening to this, probably Apple based on the metrics, just rolling the dice on that one. You got to be subscribed. What are you doing? What 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 are you doing? You get the shows brought to you by the, the computer that is in your pocket. You call a phone. It's going to be delivered to you each and every time we have a new episode. You'll never miss them. It's so much easier than just picking the episodes a la carte. Ridiculous. Subscribe. It helps us, of course. Um, and, and then leave a review. We regularly shout out our reviewers here on the show, and we really are appreciative for anything that you can leave in terms of review. Again, it takes 10 seconds. It means so much more to us than it does to you. I know every show you've ever listened to has asked you to review and you ignore them. We all do that. Make this the one you don't ignore. It's very helpful. Leave a review. Say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. We appreciate anything and everything. Just make it five stars, and we will shout you out and read whatever you said on the show. All right, JT. We've got the news, the Titans news. Hit me with it. All righty. Well, of course, they are on by, so there's not anything super pressing here, but let's just touch on a couple of points as we get into the week six bye for the Titans. Let's kind of check uh, season-wide, league-wide, where they stand in a couple of metrics. So overall, throughout the first five games of the season, their offense overall is ranked 30th mm. in the NFL. Their defense, not much better, ranked 26th overall. Those so are some definitely, bad numbers, definitely JT. not some great numbers, but you know, can only go up from here, right? If we look more closely at the offensive numbers here, their passing offense is 29th. Not shocking. In the offense in the in the league, and their run is 20th, which is a bit surprising. It is, but the, the run blocking has been dreadful and Derrick Henry took two or three games to get up to speed. So I think you'll see that number continue to drop, of course. Um, but but again, just across the board, not very good. Not very good. However, there's a little bit of a bright spot on the defense here. Of course, their pass defense is tied for 30th overall in the league, which isn't very good. However, no, a big staple of this defense has always been their run defense in which they are tied eighth. Yeah, that, that's a big deal. I see here as well that they currently are 23rd in points scored at 19.2, as well as tied 18th in points allowed at 23.6. I, 
I'm not mathematician. However, I do believe that if you are regularly on average allowing more points than you score, then that is not a recipe for success. Correct. You would be correct on that one. It doesn't take okay. very you, much math to one? do, but yes. Okay. We would love to see the Titans get these numbers up. However, there are some individual performances that we've seen through five weeks already that are promising. And mm -hmm. one of them especially is Derrick Henry in pass protection. This, this shocked year. me when I saw this. Yeah, read this. I know, me this too. Week. So it's a small sample size, of course, but Derrick Henry has had 22 pass blocking snaps this season mm -hmm. and has allowed zero pressures. Yeah, and that's something that it, with context, it's even more impressive, right? Because Derrick Henry, not known historically for his pass protection ability, his chip blocking, his, you know, picking up picking up the, the open rusher. That's not something that he's been great at. Clearly, it's something that he's developed significant amount in the past I guess just this off season and you know again small sample size and this stat was I believe brought to us by our buddy James Foster who couldn't join us this week but we'll be back next week that's significant and if you can you know allow for a Derrick Henry to stay in on a potential or obvious pass blocking down that really changes the calculus for this team what they're able to do with their play calling, disguising different looks. That's a big deal if he continues to trend in this positive direction. Looking at the other side of the ball, of course, this goes without saying, but Jeffrey Simmons has once again looked just super elite mm -hmm. on that defensive line. Another stat from our friend over at No Flags Film, James Foster, he is ranked third out of D linemen with a grade of 90 out of 100. It's only behind yep. two other players there, and he's looking just as he was last year and really giving perspective that through five weeks, the Titans are one of four teams to have two players with four-plus sacks despite having Harold Landry out with an ACL. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. The fact that they have as great a sack production so far this year as they did last year is a testament to their ability to get home and, and this pass rush it's not been as flashy, I think, as it was at the end of last year. But again, they were getting like five sacks a game at the end of the regular season last year and then capped it off with that nine sack performance in the playoffs. That's going to be hard to beat right now to through five games already have guys with two guys with four or more sacks. That's a big, big deal. Yeah. And then to even go one step further, the Titans are currently the only team in the league to have three players with three and a half or more sacks. Of course, Danico Autry having four, Rashad Weaver having four, and Simmons close behind with three and a half. So definitely if there were questions this offseason of how they would respond without having Harold Landry, they've done a pretty good job with it. No, they have. And what, what have we talked about, JT? The, what, what's missing here? We've got, okay, Autry's got his, Weaver's got his, Simmons has his. If Bud Dupree is out on this field and he has two or three, this is an elite level pass rushing team still like we've known the loss of Harold Landry is big but with Weaver doing a great job so far if Dupree can be in there and be healthy and be himself this team can be absolutely ferocious on the defensive front moving on to some other miscellaneous news points here as it is the bye week Theo Jackson safety was signed off the practice squad to the Minnesota Vikings so that's a little bit of depth there lost. 
And then of course, something that really hasn't impacted the Titans too much so far, but you've just been hearing about it a lot in the news, and that's the roughing the passer ruling. Now, there's been a lot of uh, talk about this today, but Adam Schefter had a tweet earlier today in which a leak source said today that there is no backing down on enforcing rules that are in place to protect the health and safety of players, including quarterbacks. They go on to say that they are still, by rule, considered defenseless players when they are in the passing posture. So I know they said that they were going to talk about looking at this rule, but the NFL stands firm on it. Yeah, so a couple of things here. Theo Jackson, not a whole lot to say. Um, very promising in OTAs. Injuries set him back. And of course, he was a vol for life. And he's a, uh, a hometown guy who now goes to the Vikings. Disappointing loss there. But he, you know, just got a setback at the beginning of his career. And that's how it goes. With the rough, roughing the passer rule, here's really all, all I have to say. From a business standpoint, it's entirely unshocking. And they're not going to change. Listen, from the owner's point of view, they would much rather be overly protective of their quarterbacks and have us furious and and chattering and rioting at, at their at their doorstep, proverbially, of course, on on Twitter, essentially demanding that we change these rules. But guess what? You're still doing when that's the case. You're still engaged. Now, if they allow for what seems to be objectively more fair changes to this rule and allow the quarterbacks to not be as protected in this way, it's going to result in more hits to the quarterback that aren't penalized, people being less careful. And what they're trying to safeguard against is those quarterbacks getting hurt. And then suddenly you have a Thursday night football game against second, second stringer and a third stringer. And guess what you're not doing when that's the case, you're not engaged. And then they're losing money. So they would much, much, much rather you be furious at at watching what you're watching and them treating the quarterbacks like porcelain dolls than allowing the game to be a little bit more fair, make a little bit more sense, but risk those quarterbacks being put on the shelf, having been broken. And then nobody cares because you're having to trot out guys you've never heard of at the most important position on the team. All right, that's JT with the news. We've got one more segment for you. Let's get into the best bet gauntlet. All right, now for the best bet segment, my favorite segment of the entire week. We are going to make some money for you, and that's what I have been doing for you so far this year. Just to recap, we've been doing this all five weeks so far, heading into our sixth week here, me and JT picking, drafting rather, our five favorite bets against the spread of the week in the NFL slate. I am currently at 13, 10, and 2, so you're making money if you're trailing me. JT has had an impressive three-week stint, despite his record being slightly below water 10 14 and one that's that's after having two one and four weeks to start out so he's been in the money for three straight weeks he's hit his stride he's hotter than i am right now technically we're both doing well and we've got an interesting slate of games this week we were talking about it before we hopped on today and it is i don't know what it is about this week but it's when you're a better in the nfl There's a handful of weeks each and every year where you look at the lines and you're just disgusted by everything you see. Nothing jumps out to you. Nothing looks like a lock. For me, this is one of those weeks, JT. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, personally, I would love to take this week off and just not do this. But for the sake of continuity, we have to. Um, But like you said, it just 
it's a gross week, man, to look at these lines. There's nothing I like. Like there's not, I usually come into a week and I'm like, yes, I love this game in that line this week. I'm like, I, there's nothing I love. Yeah. So I, I would, I'm not saying you shouldn't bet with us this week because you should, no, but maybe, not. maybe put half units on these bets this week. I, I, you know, it took a while for me to do some digging and JT, you did some digging as well. We ended up eventually finding five games. I found five games that I, I am confident in, and I've got some reasons behind them that we'll lay out here for you. JT, hopefully you did as well. Um, but I get the first pick this week since I technically lost last week. And I'm going to ride with Baltimore minus six. They've got the Giants, I believe. Is this? Can you check this real quick while I talk? Is this at Baltimore or at New York? Either way, I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. The Giants, I continue to think, are a fr- fraudulent is a strong word for this team. It's I don't mean to take anything away from them from what they've done. I think Brian Dable is a really great coach already. I'm really, really impressed what he's doing with that team. He is demonstrating doing less with doing more with less rather he's got some really big holes on that roster and he's still finding ways to beat good teams that win against the Packers in comeback fashion in London last week really impressive of course it makes the Titans loss to them week one look a little bit less like in a, a, a terrible loss a, a big indictment of the Titans obviously they still should have won that game for sure but this Giants team is better than we th- thought they would be already. Daniel Jones, I- I'm assuming, is healthier than he was with his ankle last week. Um, but I'm not sure it's going to matter. I think that this Baltimore team is going to be the first team that truly outclasses them. Um, and yeah, so it is It is at New York. So Baltimore on the road, coming off of a game, a divisional game against Cincinnati this past week where they didn't look the sharpest. They were a little bit sloppy despite getting the win. I think that is just a result of playing a good Cincinnati team Divisional matchup, always going to be sloppier and not the best representation of what these teams are. I think Baltimore comes in with a bounce back week and beats the Giants by at least a touchdown. Yeah, so for my first pick, the only one that I felt pretty strong about, um, speaking of Cincinnati, I am going to be taking them with my first pick here at minus two at the Saints. Um while it is technically an Andy Dalton revenge game, if you want to call it, we're what five, six years removed from that That's or something right. like that. Long time. Uh, it's never, it's maybe Andy Dalton loves to hold grudges. I don't know. But either way, I think this Saints team is still pretty beaten and banged up. And Cincinnati is kind of slowly but surely putting it together. And I think they get it done here this week. So I'm taking them at minus two. With my second pick of the best bet gauntlet draft, give me the Jacksonville Jaguars plus two on the road at Indy. Of course, in their first matchup in week two this year, they beat the, yeah, the Colts lost by 24 points. I believe it was 24 to nothing, if I'm not mistaken. Total beat down, a blowout, a shutout for the Jaguars. I'm guessing that's their first shutout in a long, long, long time. Um, But they're just a better team to me right now than the Colts are. And of course, the Colts are going to, be up for this game i'm sure they their division record right now is really rough they don't have a win yet in the division they're oh two and one they play two divisional games back to back these next two weeks hosting the jaguars and then on the road here in tennessee i don't see them seeing this as a game that they can lose however i'm not sure it's going to matter we saw them on thursday night football last week they're a mess 
Jonathan Taylor is supposed to be back, but the Jaguars had a big disappointing loss last week, whereas the Colts got a win by the skin of their teeth that they really didn't deserve. Give me the Jaguars to win by at least a field goal here. I just think they're the better team. Yeah, I agree with you there. What kind of world are we living in now where the Jaguars are better than the Colts? We're entering <laughs> a new era here. I, I know we are. And I don't hate it, frankly, because it's really funny to me. Um, with my second pick, I'm going to go with the Vikings at minus three on the road once again, facing the Dolphins. And really, the only logic I have behind this pick is that Skylar Thompson will be making his first full start for the Dolphins. I expect the Vikings to continue to build a rapport and a lead in that division. Just give me them uh, with a pretty nice win down in Miami. Okay, with my third pick of the best bet gauntlet draft, I'm going to take the grossest bet that I think I've placed in this competition all year long. Give me the Steelers plus eight facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hear me out. Steelers had, of course, maybe the most embarrassing loss of the year. Last week against the Bills, just showing no life, getting slaughtered by a far superior team. The Buccaneers are a better team than them as well. However, I expect this to be a Mike Tomlin spot, a rah-rah Mike Tomlin spot. He's a coach that always gets his team up for the most part. I mean, historically in these spots, he covers. This is a Mike Tomlin special. Um, I just think he's going to get this team Playing better than they did, they're going to be embarrassed coming off of that loss. They'll have some more fight. I don't expect them to win, but I could totally see a backdoor cover here. Getting eight points, that's a lot. Give me the Steelers getting eight. After my first two picks, I'm right there with you now. I'm feeling pretty gross about some of these right now. (laughs) Um, But give me the Chargers on Monday Night Football as five-point favorites at home against the Denver Broncos. I really, I was back and forth on each side of this one this week, but it ultimately came down to, yes, the Broncos have kept it close on primetime so far this year. Now, has it been against exactly good teams or teams that are of the caliber that I think the Chargers are currently? No, No. they're not. Um, Now, while I think it is going to be a pretty close game, I do think that there is an even better chance that the Chargers come out and make quick work of the Denver Broncos and keep Russ to maybe making some Lunchables this week instead of a full <laughs> three-course meal. Uh, so giving no, me the no Danger Witch five. this week? No Danger Russ. Witch. Okay, no. No, no Danger Witch. All right, you'll take the Chargers. My fourth pick, I'm going to take the Eagles to continue rolling. Listen, the Cowboys with Cooper Rush have been far better than anyone expected them to be. However, I think this is where the trail ends. This is by far the best opponent that the Cowboys have faced with Cooper Rush. Um, Their defense is nasty, no doubt, but the Eagles are the most complete team right now in the league. They are humming. I don't think that they're the best team in the league, and I think come January, they may realize they peaked too early. But right now, they're absolutely peaking. They don't have any holes. They've got incredible lines on both sides of the ball. I expect them to make Cooper Rush look kind of like a pumpkin this week with that defensive pressure that they're going to get on him. I just don't see the Cowboys' magical early season run here continuing. So give me the Eagles to win by at least a touchdown. Coming up with my fourth pick here, I'm solely going off based what I've seen so far this year, and that is 
love home dogs and I love the Atlanta Falcons this week. Mm, yeah, Five and oh against the spread so far this year. And once again, hosting the 49ers plus five here. Do I think they're gonna win this game? No. Do I think they're gonna keep this close? Maybe not. I'm just going <laughs> with what I'm going with what they've done so far. They've True. again and again through five weeks have proved that they can play with some of the bigger teams. I'm expecting a backdoor cover like they have so far. Not mm-hmm. keeping my hopes up, but give me the plus five. No, I love it. Only team in the league with a 5-0 and against the spread record. Good teams win. Great teams cover. That was <laughs> going to be my last pick, but since you stole it from me, give me Cleveland minus 2.5. I think that last week was mostly a result of – I think Cleveland should have won last week against the Chargers, frankly. I think they kind of blew it. Uh, Jacoby Brissett didn't have a great game. That defense has been pretty disappointing so far, but they've got talent. I think it's bound to click eventually. And I just don't think the Patriots are good still. I don't think that one week or two weeks of Bailey Zappi now of him looking serviceable really mean anything to me. And against the Lions defense, of course, he's going to look good. Anybody's going to look good. I would look good against the Lions defense because they don't exist. So give me (laughs) Cleveland minus two and a half. I like him to win by a field goal. So with my final pick, we're going to once again have another matchup between me and you for, I think, the third, fourth third straight, straight week here. Third straight week, I think. Third I love it. Week, I'm going with the Pats plus two and a okay. half. And mostly because um, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> I'm not going to let it happen a third time. I've picked against Bill Belichick and the Pats a little bit too much this year and have gotten burned on all of them. Okay. Um, just – Regardless, Mac Jones might play. We'll have to see. He uh, is limited in, I think, two practices so far Right. this week. If he comes back, that's a plus. If not, I think I, – I just I just think that they do enough to cover or win this game here. So give me the pats with my final. All right. That's going to do it for our week six best bet gauntlet. Just to recap, JT has Cincinnati minus two, the Vikings minus three, the Chargers minus five, the Falcons plus five and the Patriots plus two and a half. And then I'm taking Baltimore minus six Jacksonville plus two, the Steelers plus eight Eagles minus six and a half and Cleveland minus five. Those are our bets this week. We'll have them on social media. Make sure to uh, bet along with us and make some money. We're excited to keep it rolling here. And even though this is a tough week, I still I'm hopeful that we uh, make some money. I think that we, at least one of us will. That's going to do it for our Friday episode. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, before you go, a couple of things. First of all, make sure to check out the Mike Herndon show last night. If you didn't already, it's fantastic. I'm the executive producer. You'll love it. If you are a small business or a big business for that matter, here in the Nashville, Middle Tennessee area, looking for any advertisement opportunities, we have them here on this show, as well as our other shows on the Broadway Sports Media Podcast Network, as well as the website, broadwaysportsmedia.com. We are looking for advertising partners, so feel free to reach out to us via social media. We would love to talk to you about those opportunities and get you advertising with us. And one last thing, if you are not a Broadway insider already, what are you doing? Become an insider to get all of these awesome things that we've got for you. The Mike Herndon Show in full You can get, if you're a Broadway insider, exclusively you get the full show. If you're an insider and it's fantastic, of course, the the bit that you don't get for free is the best part of the best half of the show. It's actually more than half of the show most of the time. And you can't get it anywhere else. Mike Herndon's great. You'll love him. 
Go check it out. Of course, you get early access to articles. You get access to premium articles that you don't get elsewhere. There's a handful of other perks that we have in the works that are coming down the pipeline. You can go and become an insider right now for just 99 cents in your first month. Go and do that. Use code insider, 99 cents for your first month. And then it's just the price of a trip to Starbucks every month from then on out. And then if you want to just become an annual insider, you can just get the annual pass. Pay $49.99 right now, $20 off the regular price to become an annual insider using code annual and you will be able to set it and forget it and have a year of all of our content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com i think we're done here for jt i am easton this has been the hot read podcast make sure to check us back out on monday morning gonna have a special guest for that show can't wait you're gonna love it see you then Mm -hmm.